0: I'm excited for the passage we find ourselves in. It seems so appropriate for the season that we are stepping into. And so uh, today I'm gonna invite Diana to come and read our passage for us now.
1: Good morning, Crossroads. I'm reading from Acts chapter five, verses 27 through 32 in the English Standard Version. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men.
0: I was reading this week about a particular kind of moth because that's just how cool I am and what I do in my free time. But I was fascinated by the Cecropia moth and the story of how it emerges from its cocoon. See, As it's in its cocoon, it wrestles and it fights and it's this battle in order to to finally emerge and to unfold its wings and to fly away. See, this adversity and its struggle is part of what gives the moth its strength. But as someone was observing this, watching this moth try to get out of its cocoon, uh, they thought they could help. As they were watching it, as it it was wrestling against the confines of of where it found itself in, it was much like watching a kid try to tie their own shoes as you're trying to get out of the house in a hurry, and it's just painful as they're clumsily going around, and you just want to step in and do it yourself. And so as this person was watching this this moth struggle, they decided, I'm going to help it, and so they cut it out of the cocoon. But what they didn't realize is that when they did that, they, they set out to free this moth, but what they soon discovered was that they had really crippled this moth. You see, it came out and its wings were were bent and, and they never got to the full strength because the struggle is part of strengthening the moth. They never were able to fully develop because the way in which it was designed was to struggle so that it could have the full freedom of flight. Because strength comes from adversity. The tension that was needed for the strength of the moth's wings to develop was part of the, the struggle. The struggle was part of its strength. And by bypassing the struggle, by bypassing the adversity, the moth's development was stunted. I believe in the same way when we bypass struggle, when we simply avoid suffering or adversity, our own growth is Stunted. Now I want to be clear from the onset of this. That doesn't mean that we go looking for trouble, or we're not trying to pick fights. No, but our tendency as human beings is to avoid pain, is to avoid suffering, rather to embrace it, uh, rather than embracing it when it comes. We we want to avoid it all together because. It, again, it's painful. We don't want to sit in our pain. We don't want to sit in our struggle. If we can numb that or, or look to some, uh, some secondary thing to, to kind of bypass that, we want to do that. But I believe that when we avoid our pain, we end up voiding a part of our hearts and lives that God wishes to develop and to strengthen alongside us. See, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, as a church this summer, we looked at this very passage, that we are to rejoice in our trials, to embrace the waves that come our way, to see purpose and pain. I love how one author was describing the followers of Jesus. He said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. We like the first two, we like the happiness part, we like the fearless part, but we don't like that trouble that comes when we follow Jesus. But isn't it true that Jesus reminds us and he told his disciples and through telling his disciples, he's telling us, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't avoid that, he understands that it's a part of the human experience. So what does it look like for us to find strength in the midst of adversity that comes our way? Because the truth is, when we say yes to Jesus, we're not saying no to pain, adversity, struggle, or suffering. Instead, we are saying yes to how we, we will allow him to use those to his purpose and to our gain. And so we're going to read and look at a passage in Acts from Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. And so, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with me, I'd I'd encourage you to do so. I think it's always good to have it out in front of you so you can feel it and see where it is in your own Bible. But we're going to jump in and we're going to begin at verse 17. We find ourselves in this passage on the heels of Ananias and Sapphira uh, dropping down dead in the midst of their lying to God, lying to the Holy Spirit. But we also see the movement of God is beginning to to spread. More and more are coming to know the hope that is found in Jesus. More and more are following him. And this flourishing community of God is about to experience some more pushback in this moment. And so we read, beginning in verse 17, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So their motive here, the high priests, the Sadducees, they rise up and they are filled with what? With jealousy. They see what the apostles are doing. They see this movement that's spreading and they don't like the influence that they are, are losing. And so they're, they're jealous of what they see the apostles doing. They're jealous of the crowds that are coming around. But they're also, because this word jealous also carries with it the meaning of zealous, they're also looking to stamp out this way of Jesus. They don't like what it's doing. They don't like what they're teaching and proclaiming. And so they're looking to put a stop to those who are preaching in the name of Jesus. And so they seek to arrest them. They place them in public prison. And in verse 19, the story continues, and it says But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So the apostles, they're arrested. Why? Because they're proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. They're getting pushback. Adversity is coming their way. And in the night, as they're in prison, an angel shows up, opens the doors, frees them, and then tells them, I want you to go back to the temple and continue to proclaim the truth of Jesus. I want you to say these words of life. That's how the angel phrases it. The words of life here meaning the good news of Jesus, the life that we find in his life, death, resurrection, and the coming of him and the spirit that now indwells in us. It's his offer for all. And I find one of the ironic things in this moment is that the vehicle that God chooses to use uh, to free these men in this moment is an angel. Now, the irony of this is that the Sadducees, the very council that put them in prison, they, they proclaimed they didn't believe that there were such angels. Well, regardless of whether or not they believed or not, something strange is happening in this moment that they're not going to be able to explain. And so the angel says, you are released, but you need to go back and teach and proclaim these words of life. And so the disciples are freed from prison and they were in there in the first place because they were proclaiming the gospel and now they're being told to go back and do it again. And and I think their response is so telling. They've already experienced some adversity. It's starting to ratchet up. We're going to see this build and build and build and build. But what is their response? Well, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now, why would they do this? They knew what was on the line. They knew that they had already been ordered by those in the city not to do this. And by doing it again, they were just going to be ruffling the feathers of those who had just put them in prison in the first place. So why would they walk towards adversity? See, I think they're saying uh, that they'll keep moving towards adversity because they've already said yes to Jesus. And they did not just say yes to part of Jesus or the easy or the comfortable parts. They said yes to following him in all things. And that means following wherever he leads, wherever he asks us to go. But I also believe that this ability for the apostles to continue to say yes to Jesus, even at great cost, it didn't just happen in this moment. This yes was built up over time, through opposition, through pain, through struggle, through God's faithfulness in those moments. They were able to say yes again in this moment because Jesus had proved himself faithful in other moments, not eliminating their pain, but providing strength and meaning even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of suffering. So the apostles head straight back to teaching. They get there at daybreak. As early as they can, they go back to the temple. They're not wasting any time, and they get back there and they begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus. But as Sir Isaac Newton has reminded us so well, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. And so we read on. In verse 22, we pick back up and we read these words. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate and the people of Israel and they sent to the prison to have them brought. Now, they're sending to the prison to bring them in for their trial. Uh, little do they know that the disciples and the apostles are no longer there. They're, they're now gone. But the officers came, they didn't find anyone in the prison. Verse 23, it says, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, this is pretty amazing. The guards were there the whole time. The doors are locked. That means that the apostles were able to walk out of that prison with no one seeing them. The doors weren't messed with. There was no noises made. They just were freed in a a miraculous moment. Now the captain of the guard, he starts to freak out and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And as they're trying to figure out what's going on, we read in verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people so here we see the the frustration of the council beginning to grow they've just told these men do not proclaim this truth they put them in prison somehow miraculously they're taken out of that prison and where do they find them once again proclaiming the truth in the name of Jesus preaching in the name of Jesus And so this frustration is growing, but we see in verse 26, there's also a little bit of respect that's growing because they don't bring them in by force. They're not beating them in front of people because they understand that people are starting to pay attention to this truth, to this message, to this good news that they are proclaiming. They're starting to see that these men are operating a little bit different. The spirit working in them is showing something they've never seen before. And so they're afraid to to do much to them because they're afraid of the people's reactions. And so they bring them in one more time for trial. Verse 27, we read on, and it says this, When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. See, even in their accusations, they cannot bring themselves to say the name of Jesus. They say, you continue to preach in this name, but they cannot say the name of Jesus. And they're specifically asking the apostles not to teach. It's starting to move. They, They feel it in Jerusalem. They're specifically asking them, stop proclaiming this name. They're asking them to edit the good news that Jesus has transformed their life with. They're specifically asking them to say no to the call of Jesus on their life. So Jesus said, go forth, proclaim my teachings, make disciples of all nations. This is what you're going to do. You're going to proclaim the good news in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and, and to the ends of the earth. And here, the Sadducees, this council is telling them to stop. They're trying to muzzle them and get them to be quiet. And in the midst of this too, they're saying, and you keep trying to bring this man's blood upon us. Quit bringing us into this mess, even though they were a part of this mess. They, they keep trying to get out of it. Now, we hear this. We hear this ask that's being made of the disciples. Really, it's a demand that's being made of the disciples. And we, we ask ourselves, what do you think their response is going to be? Well, if you've been following along in the story at all, and, and, and as we heard the reading this morning, we know where this is going. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than than men. And what does Peter do here? What's Peter saying in this moment? He's speaking on behalf of the other apostles as they answered, we must obey God rather than men. What are they doing? They're pulling rank. Essentially, they're saying our commanding officer outranks you. You think you have some control, and maybe you do in this small council, but the one we serve is sovereign over all things, so we're going to listen to him. You see, their fear in this moment is rightly placed. You guys, you can mess with us, but the one who's in control of all things, that's the voice we want to listen to. That's where we're going to be obedient to. So their fear is rightly ordered. Their obedience is rightly ordered, not to men, but to God first and foremost. And they're following in the way of Jesus. They're they're listening to the words. Those had to be resonating in their head. It's from Matthew 10, 28. We read this. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so they understand what's at stake here. And so they're going to say yes to Jesus and proclaiming his name over what these men are asking of them. And Peter follows this up once again by proclaiming the good news. The very thing that they've been imprisoned for, Peter is now going to proclaim again. And beginning in verse 30, we we read this uh, as he states again, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, again he's pointing them, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So in a trial where they are being punished for proclaiming the gospel, their very defense is that we have to obey God, and then what do they do? They proclaim the gospel. They they can't be stopped in this moment. They continue to say yes to the call of God on their lives. And why do you think he can do this? Because Peter understands, even though the adversity is coming, the pressure is on, he knows where his strength comes from. He understands that the the good news may cause some trouble, but God will sustain them even in the midst of their trouble. And in verse 33, they respond. When they heard this, the, the Sadducees, the council, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Now, we hear this, and I think some of us could understand this. When someone is challenging your very way of thinking, your very way of life, it pulls out emotions in us, and sometimes rage is one of those emotions. We're like, I just would rather you not be here anymore. And that's what they're feeling in this moment. These men continue to proclaim this hope in Jesus, proclaim this name that they've said, stop saying the name of Jesus. And even in the trial, they continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. And so they're ready to kill them. They're ready just to wipe them out. But verse 34 is important for us here. But a Pharisee, now keep in mind, this is the Sadducees. This is the council of the Sadducees. A Pharisee and the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So this Pharisee stands up and apparently he's of some, some serious, he's got some serious weight behind him because he gives orders. He says, let's put the men outside and they listen to him. They're paying attention to him. This Pharisee stands up in the midst of the the Sadducees and they're paying attention to his words. And what we know of Gamaliel is that he was a rabbi that was held in high esteem, that he was a man who loved the law of God, but he was also known for his kindness and for his wisdom. Now, we also know that this Gamaliel was the very one who Paul, the apostle, sat under and learned from and learned the scriptures from. Gamaliel's great ancestor, or his great-grandfather, I believe his great-grandfather, was Rabbi Hillel, one of the great rabbis of all time. And so Gamaliel carries some weight, carries some authority with him, and he begins to speak to this council, and what he tells them is some advice. In verse 35, he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this, If this is the plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God, and so Gamaliel looks at the history of the first century and he knows that time after time there's been martyrs and men who have risen up trying to overthrow Rome, trying to overthrow the system, trying to claim that they were a messiah of some sort and he lists off two examples of of Thutis, who Josephus the historian also talks about and and this other Judas who comes and and he he's he's moving in and he's trying to take followers after him as he seeks to overthrow the way of Rome and the way of the people of the day. But Gamaliel is also making clear that these men and their causes are just a blip in the radar. They they lost their lives, and when they lost their lives, their followers scattered. And so he's saying, let's not add fuel to this fire. If this is of God, then there's going to be no opposing it. And if it's not, it's just going to fizzle out. So let it play out and, and see what happens. See how this continues to move. And what's surprising to me in this moment is that with this advice, they listen. This council of people, they listen to Gamaliel and they take his advice, is what we're told. And then in verse 40, it says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And so we see, they take the advice, they let let the, the apostles go, they let the disciples go, and before they do, though, they do want to send some sort of message, like, we asked you not to do this, you continue to do this, and so they beat them. They're sending a message, and they're sending that message with some pain. They beat the disciples. But what I love is, what's the response in this moment, again, of the disciples? How do they respond to the beating that they take for proclaiming the name of Jesus? Do they they limp away with crumpled wings under the adversity they've experienced? Or do they bear up finding strength through the adversity and they continue to fly? Well, we don't have to wait long to find out for the answer. In verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See, we're told they left rejoicing, They've just been in prison. God frees them, tells them to go back, proclaim the name of Jesus once again. They're they're surrounded. They're brought back in for trial. It looks like they're facing more jail time. All this adversity is coming through them, but what is it continuing to build in them? Their faith and their trust that the way of Jesus is the way of life. And so they cannot help but proclaim the good news. And even after they are beaten, they leave rejoicing that they receive the honor of suffering for the name of Jesus that they were counted worthy of suffering dishonor for the sake of Jesus. It didn't matter what they experienced, they would endure anything for the cause of Christ. And while others may continue to put them to shame, it did not matter as long as they faithfully bore the name. That's their end goal. That's their highest aim, that they keep their eyes fixed on God, that they keep their eyes fixed on their Messiah, Jesus, the one who'd come and rescued them and empowered and filled with the spirit They continue forward in this, obeying God rather than men. And we're told that every day, Every day they continued to say yes to the call of Jesus, yes to the adversity that would come. And they went to the temple and they proclaimed the truth of Jesus there. They went from house to house and they did not cease teaching and preaching the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. See, the disciples knew the joy of of perseverance through trial. The disciples knew the truth that if God is for us, then who can possibly come against us? The disciples knew to look foolish in the way of the world, but to look wise in the way of Jesus. Now that's that's real life. That's worth hanging on to. So we hear this and we read through this and, and we see their example yet again, stepping into the fire and rejoicing as they feel the flames. So what do we take from this? What do we learn in this moment? Well, here's a couple of observations that I I see for us. The first is this, the the disciples, we we always catch them in these moments and we're like, they're just so brave, they're so bold, but we have to remember that they developed their strength through struggle. They developed their strength in the face of adversity, meaning that they grew, that their faith grew, that they, they continued to say yes to Jesus, but some of those yeses were smaller and they grew and grew and grew until they were willing to say yes even in the face of great adversity. If we look back at the early days of the disciples as they were following Jesus, we see that often their actions were filled with fear. It was commonplace among them. And so they didn't just arrive at this point, they continued to build to this point. So what may seem like an insignificant yes to Jesus today in your life, something small, something menial, may be building towards a greater yes that you will be asked of later. And that's why we need to pay attention to what we're saying yes and no to and to make sure that we are constantly saying yes to Jesus in His way and following after Him. And here's the other observation that I make in the midst of this, and we see this play throughout the book of Acts, that the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit changed everything. Seeing Jesus and experiencing the empowering of the Spirit gave them enough strength to face whatever came their way. And what we find is that every time there is adversity, it brings clarity. Adversity loosens our grip on the things that don't have lasting value. It kind of clears away the dross, so to speak, those things that that don't matter. And we see the the present moment for what it is and, and all that is in front of us. And what we see in the apostles and the disciples' reactions here is that they're running the race with endurance as they keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. It's the example and the pattern that's set before us for us to do the same. That it's not just the sprint that matters, but it's the long marathon, it's the long run in view that we build towards. And this is the hope that we have in Jesus, that whatever may come, He has overcome. Our pain, our adversity in the moment will be used towards His purpose. This is his offer to all, to each and every one of us. This is what's available to each of us here and now. See, adversity is to be expected. It's a constant in life. If you are a human being, you should expect for adversity to come. And while we shouldn't seek it out purposefully or or foolishly, we also recognize that we have one who has experienced all the failings and faults that, that we see in this world and yet he arrived through it with perfection. He's felt the full force of adversity coming his way that took his very life and yet he bore up in that moment as a pioneer for us to follow after and that is Jesus. And it's his strength that we pull from even now when adversity comes our way that we look to him, the author and perfecter and the founder of our faith. That word founder is the same word that's used here in this passage that he's our leader and our savior. He's our founder and our savior. He's the one that we cling to and look to. And so he's the one that we say yes to. Come what may, no matter what pushes on us. See, saying yes to Jesus, even in the insignificant moments, can have a compounding effect. Now, if if you're someone who works out or you've ever maybe thought about working out, but you don't like the idea of it because there's pain involved, you don't just do a set of curls, like just grab a dumbbell and just start going for it, turn around and flex and be like, see, look how strong I am now. You see what it's done. No, it takes time. It takes time and resistance over time, building that muscle, building that strength. And in the same way, it takes our consistent yes to Jesus to continue to build our faith so that when the greater adversity comes, we are just ready for it. But also there's a greater truth hidden in there too, because oftentimes that adversity, no matter how much we've prepared for it, it can seem so overwhelming. But again, Jesus reminds us in John 16, 33, he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And there are going to be days where our yes to Jesus may come in the midst of great desperation, adversity, and that first yes to Jesus may come out simply just as like a, a whimper. It's just barely on our lips. But we have this truth that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, all adversity that comes our way, comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God himself is our comfort and our strength. He he builds around us so that we can face the adversity that comes our way. That is the hope that we have. So whatever we are facing, we look to him, not looking past our pain, but looking at him through our pain as he walks with us in the midst of our pain, bringing purpose where we may see none but only the pain. But he was there in our adversity, offering strength. And in our adversity, he provides strength. And in our pain, he provides purpose. And so my hope for us is that we would continue to say yes to Jesus in the little things and in the big things, rightly ordering our hearts towards him, in the joy and in the pain, in the easy and in the hard. And when adversity comes, because it will come, May we use that adversity to keep our eyes faced towards him and allow him to strengthen our wings that we we may fly to his glory forever and ever. Amen. You pray with me. Father, as we talk around adversity, as we talk around pain, I know for many uh, this feels real close. And so Lord, may we never lessen that or cheapen that. May we never offer pat answers, but God, I, I do trust that in our pain and our adversity, it's you who provides strength. And while we may not always see the purpose immediately, we can trust in you that you are working all things out towards your good. And so, Lord, even as we look at the apostles and their movement towards you, their continual proclamation and yes to you in all things, even when it brings about pain, God, may we as your people go forward trusting that you are the ultimate good, trusting that you are greater than even the adversity that we face, that obeying you rather than than man, uh, rightly ordering our hearts towards you is the best thing that we can do. And Lord, for any who are in the midst of pain and wondering where to turn, May they know that you stand with arms open wide, ready to bring them in, to comfort them with your strength and your your goodness. So Father, I pray that any who are listening to this that have yet to to step into life with you would turn their eyes and fix them upon you, finding rest for their souls, even in the midst of, of chaos and the storms of life that come, that they would be able to move forward and the strength of you. Father, that in that wrestle, we would find that it's strengthening our wings that we would fly and flourish as we are meant to in relationship with you. We love you and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as as we close, I just want to close with this. I just remind you to continue to be paying attention to updates that are going to be coming this week and as we move forward in this season. I also want you to know that we are praying for you. Uh, we're praying over you and alongside you. And if you're someone who just feels stuck or you're alone and you just you need someone to visit you, you just you need some contact. Please let us know. We, we would love to come alongside you in this season. Next weekend, we are going to move into the Advent season. We're going to take a pause from our study in the book of Acts as we look to follow the thread of hope that leads us to Jesus from Genesis all the way through to the birth of Christ. And we're going to do that by following along in the genealogy of Jesus, looking at his family history. And we're going to look at some stories in there that some might like to avoid and, and not look at. But in the midst of that, we're going to find hope in the face of of the unknown and hope in the face of failure, hope in the face of despair, hope in the face of brokenness. And all that hope is is hanging on that thread that leads us directly to Jesus. So I look forward to to jump it in next week and, and hope you join us as we move into the Advent season celebrating what that means for us. Well, as you uh, step out into your week, may you know that you're not alone, that your strength comes from the one who created all things. May you begin each day by saying yes to Jesus and walking forward in him, rightly ordering your heart towards him trusting the author and perfecter of our faith who provides strength in adversity when we say yes to him, who provides purpose even in the midst of our pain. So may you walk with him well this week as you step forward in his grace and his peace. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.